Hello, this is Mircho Preya, host of the Zuma Cafe Show. The other day, I had a great conversation with David Roth, head of the theater department for Westport, Connecticut's very own Stables High School. We talked about Al Pia, Craig Matheson, Joe Zegan, Judy Luster, the Staples players, teaching theater, getting parents and the community involved, and putting on performances before, during, and hopefully very soon after we see this global pandemic in our rearview mirrors. Now before this, I hadn't talked with David since our high school graduation back in 84, but will admit I have been loosely following his career after he took over the theater department 21 years ago at my alma mater, Staples High School. Fast forward, we reconnected over social media, and in the fall of 2020, after much coaxing on my behalf, he finally gave in and agreed to sit down, remotely of course, to talk about how and when he took over as theater director, who was and what were his inspirations, how he does it so well, and what the future holds for the Staples Theater Department and Staples Players. And now, please join me as I have a conversation with David Roth. This is Mircho Preya with the Zuma Cafe Show, and thank you for listening. Today I'm talking with David Roth, who is the head of the theater department for Westport Staples High School. David, good to be talking with you again. Good to be talking with you, yeah, long time. So David, you grew up in Westport, is that true? I actually moved to Westport when I was 14. So I actually grew up um, in the suburbs of Chicago. And um, at that point, I was already really into theater from the time, uh, pretty much from the time I can ever remember, I really wanted to be on stage. And so I, um, when I was young, um, before I moved to Westport, I was really involved with a, a theater group out in um, Park Forest, Illinois, um, a woman by the name of Atel Billig, who was a great theater teacher, and she was, uh, I loved her to death. And so I was really into that. And then when we, when my father found out that he was being transferred to Connecticut, and one of the places we were looking at was Westport, Connecticut, this woman, Atel, was like, oh my God, the theater out there, you're going to be close to New York. And Westport's such an artistic community, and she knew all about it, and the Westport Country Playhouse and that type of stuff. So I was very excited, and actually we chose Westport because I was so into theater, because they had such a, a dynamic um, theater program at Staples High School. So then so your first year, I went through. Your first year in, in Westport was at Staples? No, remember we had ninth grade in... Oh, right. Um, Ninth grade was still in middle school. So, no, I was supposed to. I graduated from, you know, junior high school out in Chicago. So I was all ready to go to high school. And then I move out to Westport and I have to go back into middle school for another year. Um, so, no, it was sophomore year that we all that that I actually met you and that we got involved with Staples players. Right. So David and I both went to the same high school, the same age, in the same classes. We were in the same drama class with Al Pia. 
Would you mind talking a little bit about Alpia? Uh, you probably know more about his history or um, sure your your interaction with him uh, because he was he was a drama teacher back then. They called the drama teacher, according to what yeah. you've told me. When did he retire, and who took his place? Um, he retired in '96, and so at that point. He and I had become, you know, I mean, obviously we had him as our teacher and our director, and he really, I think one of the, the big things that Al always instilled in students was just that, that you really needed to, you could go, there was no limit to what a student could do. His expectations for us were the same that he had with his adult actors, because he also ran a, a very successful community theater, which is still operating in Stamford, Connecticut the Ethel Queskin theater. And so Al had the, you know, had these great drama classes and, and did these productions, which were, you know, some, some were very successful, some weren't, but they always, the kids were always very, very passionate about it. I think he really fostered passion in students. He was actually the second director of Staples. The first guy was Craig Matheson, who was also a terrific terrific teacher and and really was the one that founded Staples Players. And then Al took over from him about eight years after that and was there for, oh, how long was Al there for? I think Al was there from like 68 to 96. So what is that, 28 years? And I remember thinking that that was amazing, that that was so much time. And yet now here I am in my 21st year at Staples High School. And I, I <laughs> undoubtedly will, will I mean, unless, <laughs> unless something awful happens, I will, when I retire, I will have surpassed his, his years of service by, by many, many years. So after I got out of high school, I, I wanted to go into, I wanted to study to be an actor. And I ended up, I went to Carnegie Mellon for a year and that didn't really work out. And so I, I went to, I ended up going back to Chicago and I went to the theater school at DePaul University. It used to be called Goodman School of Drama. Okay. And I got my bachelor's degree, my BFA in acting and did a lot of theater in Chicago afterwards, was actually a founding member of a couple companies and met a lot of people that are still, you know, very successful today. And then I moved back out to Connecticut and I did some work at, uh, I did some work at a little theaters in New York, did some work at, at Yale Rep. And about that time I was starting to think about, hmm, do I want to stay in this? Do I want to do this for the rest of my life? And about that time I spoke to Al and he said that he was thinking about retiring. And at this point I had, I had started to substitute teach as sort of my day job while I was, you know, doing acting jobs when I had them. And I was Al's regular substitute. And Al asked if, when he retired, whether I would be interested in possibly becoming a teacher and taking over the program. That had meant so much to us. And so I started to think about it. And then I decided that, yeah, that was something that I was really interested in. I was interested in, you know, being able to create work with students and to be able to instill that kind of passion in them that Al had instilled in me. So I, I had to go back to school and get my teaching certificate. 
And actually, there was a great program that allowed me to do that called the Alternate Route to Certification. And basically, in I think it was eight weeks in one summer, it was basically boot camp. You went to class for like 10 hours a day, and then you read all night, and then you came back the next day. I got my teaching certificate in one summer. Um, <laughs> Where was this? And Was this in Westport or Stanford or... Um, the, the program was at Sacred Heart, which is in Fairfield, Connecticut. Oh, okay. But it was actually a state program. And the whole idea of this program was to take professionals. So to get scientists to become science teacher, to get engineers to become math teachers, to get it allowed people to take, if you had a, a skill set in the professional world, it allowed you to transition into teaching without having to go back and take two years out of your life because what professional can afford that type of time you know there's that's there's, really interesting there's just no way and it's a great program that's great yeah it is and it because because i think it brings a new set of skills and a new set of people to yeah. the classroom including people that have real life experience in these yeah. fields you know so i was able to do that because I talked about, I mean, they didn't really, no, nobody has like real like theater certification programs. So I was getting certified in English, but I had already, when I substitute taught, I had already been using my theater skills and that type of stuff to, to in, in the classroom and getting kids to do activities through that type of stuff. Did that also include the hours, obviously you're working? Did those add to your certification, the actual hours that you were substitute teaching? You know, that's actually an interesting question. It was a requirement that you had had a significant amount of time with students. You couldn't, so you can't just come in unless you, you, it didn't have to be in the classroom. You could have been like a Boy Scout leader or a, you know, but somehow you had to have, you had to know what a, a kid's mind was like, do you know? Um, right. So, uh, so yeah, that did, that helped me a lot. And then of course, you know, to have that experience and I'd been substitute teaching in Westport schools. So when I got my certificate, Al still hadn't left. He was still in his final years of teaching. And I ended up teaching in Stanford for a semester. And then I got a job teaching fifth grade at Bedford Middle School. <laughs> and I had already been directing the shows there. And then so I did that. And then about this time, Al decided he was going to retire and there was a big, you know, party and everybody, you know, talked about what a great guy he was, which he was. All right. So I was like, okay, I'm ready to apply for this job. And um, there was a, a woman at Staples who was an English teacher. She had directed some shows at Staples and she always had this passion for theater. And she had basically been waiting for Al to retire like her entire career because she was, you know, at this point, she was probably in her 50s and she'd been waiting for 20, 25 years for this job. So I didn't even get an interview for this job that I had kind of changed my whole career for. I didn't even get an interview for it. So she she got the job at Staples and took it over. And what year was that about? That was 96. 96. That was in 96 when Al retired. So I ended up continuing to teach fifth grade at Bedford Middle School and actually started a whole drama production class that basically every kid in middle school and to this day every kid in middle school in Westport now takes theater and I, I started that program when I was oh, wow. at, at the middle that school. That is great. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. And um, 
So I started that and did some great productions and, and I think really grew as a director. So in the long run, it was it was sort of a blessing in disguise because I think I came when this woman, she decided that she really, it really wasn't for her. It wasn't working out, wasn't what she thought it was going to be. And it, it just really was kind of overwhelming, I think. When she decided not to do it anymore, four years later in 2000, then I was really well set up to get the job. And this time I got an interview and I got the job. So in the long run, it all worked out very well, but I've been there since 2000. Um, so this is my 21st year, I think. Wow. So a long time. That's a, that's a long road and a very, very, very productive and helping. I mean, that, setting <laughs> up that program. Did you ever get involved with the Stanford Theater like Al Pio was? I didn't. I didn't. didn't. It's, it's, no, I mean, it's third, they have their own group. I did do some community theater um, around the state until my daughter was born. And then it was just between directing shows, which is really a second job, you know. Um, right. It just, I couldn't do those and then also still act myself. So I haven't acted really in uh, 11 years because she's, she's 11 years old. So, yeah. So, yeah. So. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna change that. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> okay. My next my next crazy idea, and you're you're gonna be involved. All right. So now you've taken over, or you taken yep. over the theater department. Yep. And uh, what was like the first things that you wanted to change or keep the same? Alpia passed away. Al passed away. Uh, gosh, maybe two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Okay. I think. So it wasn't long after you um, took over. Not that were you, long. Were you still consulting him or, or talking um, to him at all? I still I still talk to him. He he ran he continued to do the shows in the summer for several years. Okay. Actually, it was probably like two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight. It was it was longer than I than I had originally said. So I still talk to him, and he came to see the shows, and and also Craig Matheson, who was the head before that. He and I actually spent a lot of time together too. Um, okay. And, and actually, both Al. And Craig were instrumental in helping me get the position. They both were in favor of it. So, um, cheerleaders. They had, yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, that's great. So, going back to uh, what did you keep, or what did you change, or or what was your what was your angle, or what what, what were you thinking about um, as far as maybe modeling it more into like a David Roth kind of <laughs> theater department. Um, well, a few things. I'd say one of the biggest things I changed was that it had always been sort of a hands-off for parents, that, that the kids did everything, and that, that the parents weren't very involved. And having worked at the middle schools, uh, the parents were very involved, and I got the parents even more involved. And they loved to be there. They loved to help out. They loved to do things. They loved to really support the program. And so I brought in parents and really got them involved. The kids still, the kids still own, have ownership of, of most of the elements of production, but really um, by having the parent support, it just helped in so many ways. And it, and it also was, I think, really, I think the parents really loved the experience of being involved with these shows, you know, and it, it's sort of, right. um, they're, they're part of the team now. So that was a big And they want to help. I, it's a, a, a very different parent generation. <laughs> yes, I mean, yes. Know, I'm a parent, you're a parent. 
So, so what would you say to a dad like myself that wants to come in and help build sets? Because I, I love it. Oh, gosh. I mean, I would just go and, and talk to the person that runs it. If, if What they're really... I think what like our technical director and and the and the the parents that you know that do or the adults that work with us the the parents that they really want to be involved or the, that they particularly love are ones that can sort of take on projects on their own that don't need to you know I think a lot of times parents come in and they they want to make sure that they're not messing up and so they right. they seek a lot of approval and and that type of stuff which is fine but but I know that they get really excited the the designers and the and the the technical people get really excited when a parent can sort of run with it themselves. Okay. And I think that that's, you know, to come in and, and offer your services and just tell them that you have experience in theater. I think that that's also really important. People that understand that it's like you're building this set, but it's it's you're not going to build it so that people can live in it for 25 years. You're building it so that it can move across the stage quickly right. while something else moves on at the same time. And, you know, and things like that are very important. And I, I've seen some, you know, some sets that are built, you know, literally like a like a playground you know i mean they're they're so they're so heavy duty and, and it's just like but they're so heavy and they're so it's so not necessary because yeah. you're really looking for something that's going to last you know it's got to be safe and it's got to right. have structure but it's all it's all show it doesn't you know you need to think about it okay is somebody going to see that from 20 feet away and how do we how do we do this efficiently and also make it so that it's mobile you know so it can move exactly you part it out and use it for another set since we're on the subject of set building, can you mm. talk about Joe Zegan? I can. <laughs> I can. So Joe, uh, Joe, when our first, I think our first year at Staples was Joe's first year at Staples. He was my art teacher in um, Long Lots. Yes. So that's where he came from, right? Yeah. And he did all the sets for your guys' shows at the middle school, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll put up pictures. <laughs> good. Yeah. And so he he was incredible just in terms of the way that he could visualize something and make it happen and also just could freehand paint signs and lettering and just his his spatial ability to sort of see something and what it could possibly be was incredible. I remember the upgrade of of having him do the sets and they became professional sets and his guidance mm -hmm. for perspective for what a theater set should be. Yeah. You're seeing it from the audience. I, I remember working with him on that on a couple sets and, and just, just loving it because it, it was such important information. Anyway, uh, please continue. I no. just had to throw that in there because he was so good at that. And, and to have that kind of, um, design aspect i mean it really knocked up those sets yeah to to professional level yeah uh and the kids got to learn all the aspects of the theater which was which was also fun about being part of players and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute but um continue with joe zegan because uh i know you two were were pretty close weren't you yeah 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 and, and he was i mean i think he was the perfect match for al yeah in that al really you know i mean i feel like al one of the biggest things he instilled in us was that it was like, it's never done until it's as good as it possibly can be. That you never settle for anything 
not being, you know, sort of be like, oh, well, that's okay. That'll be all right. And sort of, but he always wanted, it, it's, it could always be better. And I think Joe, you know, also, he was such an inspiration to so many kids and so many, you know, even people that didn't necessarily go into the theater, I think still, I know, I know adults that, that still build things and still are so passionate about that, that time with, with Joe. And he, um, he was with us up until, gosh, um, he died a couple years after Al. Yeah, I remember. And I want to say, I want to say in 2014, or I'm sorry, no, in uh, 2009, we did uh, our 50 year anniversary of Players. And he was, he he was no longer building for us. He was no longer the tech director, but I remember him being in the audience and him being, I think he was already sick. And so, so that's about, I think he died soon after that. Okay. But he was our technical director when I was there for the first seven, eight years. And that was great to be able to, to come in and, and know him and have, yeah. have worked with him. Cause I don't know if you remember, I was as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and I was, I was for some bizarre reason, I was vice president of tech in our senior year. And even though I was acting a lot, I also then somehow was vice president of tech and, and did stage managing and all different types of stuff. So I got to know him pretty well in our senior year, building the set for cabaret. And he's, you know, he's another, part of Staples players where, you know, he's, he's got a legacy. And interestingly enough, you know, that little room off stage left, which right. was Zegan's office to this day, the kids, you know, I mean, they know who Joe Zegan is, but that room is still Zegan's office because oh, it was always, you know, when, when he left, it was still like, you know, it was still off stage left. And we, we keep like, um, sort of more valuable props in that little room. And so right. it would still be like, take that to Zegan's office. So the kids, you know, when you're a freshman, you come in and one of the things you learn is where Zegan's office is. And if somebody tells you to go get something from Zegan's office, you go. <laughs> so they learn about Zegan's office long before they learn about who Joe is. And I, I do I do try to make sure that everybody in the, in the program does know about the history of these these people. And every year we give awards and there is, there is a Joe Zegan award. Now there's an LP oh, award and there's a Craig Matheson award. So every time I give those out, I, you know, reemphasize who these, who these people were and, and how they're important to the history of players. And I think, I think the fact that players, I think one of the things that really makes Staples unique, I mean, there's, there's some great high school theater programs all over the country, but I think one of the things that really is important about Staples and perhaps unique about Staples is that our theater program, we can trace it back and we know exactly what was going on from 1959 when it was founded all the way to today. And so I think that history and also just the amount of people that have become, you know, that have gone into the arts, have gone into theater, have gone into film and that type of stuff, they, everybody feels kind of connected to that we have a right. we have a ha we have a hashtag that we use on things when when we're doing a post about somebody you know that's particularly successful in um 
in theater that that was a player. We we, we it's called player Staples Players Mafia, and so we hashtag things that sort of. <laughs> That's um, great. And it and it has helped. I mean, I know people have you know gone to other Staples players that are successful. I've had stage managers who uh, there's a a woman named Ann Lowry. I don't know if you remember Ann. Ann would have been a couple years behind us, but she's been the stage manager for the Blue Man Group in New York City for, wow. I think, like 10 years at least. And so whenever I have a, a stage manager that's really passionate about it, they go in and they get to be on headsets with Anne calling Blue Man Group. So they get to be up in the booth with her and listen to her call this professional show. She's done it for wow. so many of our kids. That and, is great. Um, yeah, no, it's really, it's really terrific. Uh, two years ago, or yeah, I think it was, it's so hard to remember with COVID, you know, but uh, two years ago, we had Andrew Lott. Andrew Lott was a, a, a lighting designer for, um, while I was at, at Staples, and he came back and he led a workshop for them. This year, Andrew was majorly responsible for the lighting for both Biden's, the, the huge, the lights and the fireworks that went on uh, when Biden the day he they he won the election and then also for the inauguration he's the one he he was um responsible for setting up those lights along the um the reflecting pool to represent all of the people that oh, had died wow. from covid do you know what i'm talking about yeah so I know exactly um, what you're talking about. yeah and then actually each one represented some like ten thousand people yeah deaths. yeah and then actually uh just this week another one of our lighting designers who's been working professional was like hey i'm designing the lights for uh biden's open house this week completely unconnected i believe but literally they we seem to be providing lighting designers to the biden administration so uh <laughs> um yeah um yeah and um staples is that path it is. It is. And we, you know, and, and I think, and I think that that's, everybody feels a part of that. And I know that, that that's a huge, that's a huge thing. And I think I, I felt that when I was at Staples, you know, I knew yeah. that I was part of something that was, that was important to so many people. So. Is there a strong alum uh, backing? There is, there is. Okay. We, we, I know I just a, recently got involved again, but um, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, David. Yeah. <laughs> I'll but I'm back. <laughs> All cylinders <laughs> firing away. Yeah, no, the alum are are very supportive, and they come back. These people that were even in the '60s when when Craig Matheson was the director, they are so still connected, and they are so passionate about the plays that they did in the '60s. When we did, um, we did in 2006, we did a Midsummer Night's Dream, and we had. Uh, we had set the play. We set the play in the mid '60s, so that it was, it, it, it kind of went along with 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 because uh, the whole play Midsummer Night's Dream is really about kids rebelling against their parents and sort of breaking away. And then so and since that was the theme of Midsummer Night's Dream, we thought, well, that would be perfect for our production is to set it in the sixties and use all of the sixties music, which, which the kids love. Yeah, and then they run into the woods and then it's sort of like, they kind of have a psychedelic, you know, experience. Of course we didn't really use the word psychedelic or imply, but, <laughs> but the whole concept is that if you put this juice on your eyes, then whenever you wake up, you fall in love with the first thing that you see. So there's definitely kind of a, a psychedelic element to it, you know, and then you wake up and everything's, Oh, was it a dream? That type of thing. So, right. 
we had already decided to set this in the 60s and then I don't remember how it came about but I reached out to the cast of Midsummer Night's Dream from 1966 which is actually wow. the year that that we were born are you you were born in 66 too is that right yes yes okay. but I am still 25 Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I invited, and, and literally almost the entire cast from 1966 no came way. to this reunion. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, they, they went out, and they had this big, like, dinner party, and then they came and saw the show, and then afterwards they came up on stage, and we took pictures of everybody together. And it was, you know, it was pretty amazing. So they got to, they got to have their, and, and we were doing it in, in um, 2006, so it was the 50th anniversary, wait, no, it was the 40th anniversary of their production of it. So um, it was pretty cool. That is great. Yeah. 2006. Yeah, I always get the numbers. Yeah. I know. It's like 1995 is really 25 years ago, right? Or 26 years ago. When you started to, uh, this is still pre-COVID. So as you are putting on these plays and mm -hmm. you are... Um, you know, put them together, packaging and things like that. Is there, uh, was there any kind of style or technique that you do a little bit differently than, than Al did as far as the way you like to um, rehearse that kind of thing or, or uh... um, well, I think in terms of, we now do a lot more plays than they used to do. We do, we do two, usually two full musicals or a okay. musical and like a, a Shakespeare. And then we do a, a full black box production too, which is, which allows us to do sort of smaller dramas yeah. um, or comedies. So when Al really, his musicals almost all were these traditional, you know, Carousel and My Fair Lady and Guys and Dolls and, and all of these sort of classic, awesome musicals. And then, you know, he, he sometimes went a little bit away from that. We really pushed him to do cabaret. I don't think he was really fond of the idea, but, but I think our class kind of pushed him to do that. Right. But then Judy Luster, who had come in after him, she had really done some, some she had really sort of thought in a different vein from that. She did musicals like A Chorus Line and Runaways and these other plays that were very sort of modern and much more gritty than the stuff that Al had done. And so I really tried to do not only the, the classic plays, but then each year we did something that was a little bit more out of the box. Yeah. Um, and so really trying to bring those things into it. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I, I'm, I'm certainly a different type of acting teacher than Al was. And I think that affects a lot of the way that we do things. Yeah. I co-direct all of the shows with my wife, Carrie Long. And so I think she has a huge influence on not only the performance, but really the, the aesthetic of the productions. Carrie's a professional photographer. And so she sees things in terms of light and, and images and this type of stuff. So, so I feel like together we, we sort of bring a different aesthetic to the show. It's a great team. Yeah. How did you meet Carrie, can I ask? Uh, I met Carrie in like when she was, she had graduated from Columbia and we got to know each other through doing, um, she came and she worked on a couple shows with us actually. And okay. um, so I got to know her through her passion for theater, you know, and she's, as I said, coming at it from a sort of a different 
perspective with a art history degree and and uh, and that type of stuff. So we really got to know through doing productions, and then we started co-directing them. And we've been co-directing them, I think, for I think she started doing that with me probably my third or fourth year at Staples. So we are definitely a team, and. Yeah. Um, both of us give direction, and it's usually it's the exact same note. You, we, we now think kind of the same in terms of yeah. what we want from things. And I, I also in my in my theater classes, one of the the biggest things I do is a it's a unit that I actually I don't even know how I came up with it, but it's it's called um, it's called census, and the concept is that. And, and everybody does it in sophomore year of, of high school. So theater two, we have, we didn't really talk about how the, the, the classes work. We have theater one, theater two, and then theater three, which you can take in junior year. There's theater three acting or there's theater three directing. And our directing program is, is huge. And um, some kids take it for two years. And, and so that's something that Al never had. Actually, Judy... I believe Judy got the course approved, but then she never taught it. So, so okay. um, it started. I was the first one to actually teach the class. But in theater two, what about technical? Um, in, Do you have classes on that too? You know, we have. There's a stagecraft book. There's a stagecraft class on the book, but unfortunately, we don't really have anybody to teach it. Okay. My technical. I have a fantastic technical director now, but he's not a teacher, and. We also have a costume design class, which sometimes, if if it works out, then I teach costume design or I teach stagecraft. But because the acting classes and the directing classes are so popular, I don't have enough time in my schedule to actually teach those classes. So unfortunately, right. they, they don't get taught, which is really unfortunate. So the kids learn most of their skills after school. Okay. But in theater two, we do this thing called the census, and the kids have to create these characters from the ground up. They they create basically about a eleven to twelve page biography, everything from uh, your childhood to your religious beliefs to your political beliefs to your you know your sexual orientation. All of these all of these things they have to write about in detail in these in these biographies, and then they come to class. And I play a guy who is the head of the this sort of, it's like a, um, it's a, what, what is it called? It's like a breakout group. It's a, um, a focus group. That's what it is. And so the idea is that these, these 20 kids, these 20 people are coming from different parts of the country, wherever they've decided they're from, and they all are meeting together. And I basically put them through talking about their experiences and they have to, they have to, sustain that character for 45 to 50 minutes at a time in class so we do this long form improvisation and carrie thinks that that is one of the the things that really helps our productions a lot is that these kids are able to not only focus but they're able to sustain a character for that long so so we try when you you know when you look at one of our productions hopefully every single person is involved and every single person has their own idea of what's going on and that type of stuff. And so, so we try to make it so that it's really, it's not like, Oh, you're in the ensemble. Therefore, you know, you're just supposed to be there in the background and you do this and you do that. Everybody has a reason to be there and, and um, 
I think most of the kids will tell you that the that the census, which we do for about two to three months, so they sustain these characters every class for two to three months. They come in and they dress as the characters. They change their clothes before they walk into the classroom. So I think that <laughs> that cool. is one of the things that, I don't know, that has been one of the most successful things that I've sort of created in terms of a teacher. Okay. Um, we, also, we also do mask work, which is a big part of what the kids learn how to do. So, so really letting go of everything in their physicality and sort of inhabiting a mask and, and taking on that physicality, I think helps them a lot in terms of being able to become characters that they're not used to being. Yeah. I noticed that like in the auto dramas, and we're going to get to that too, mm -hmm. uh, the advertisements, they speak mm -hmm. in their character voice to degree. Mm -hmm. uh, real quick note, I remember seeing Judy Luster in Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I mean, that was insane. And yeah. it was the first time I actually saw a teacher actually being in a performance like that, that's thinking outside of the box. It was a great performance. Yeah. yeah. But I just remember my jaw dropping watching her do that, and she nailed it so well. She did such a, a great job, uh, but yeah. I never really got to know Judy at all. The whole time I was there, I, I was too shy to, to go up and tell her what I thought, <laughs> you know, but I was, I was very, very impressed. She was, she was probably my, she was one of my favorite teachers when I was at Staples. She was great. Is she still there or she retired? No, she retired. Okay. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Staples players so that uh, the people that are listening probably know Staples players, but what is it? It's a group. Obviously, I was a Staples player. Am I still mm -hmm. a Staples player? Uh, I guess I'm alum, and there are a lot of alums out there that are doing well. Yeah. Not so much 2020, but can you just talk a little bit about that? Talk about Staples players. Well, Staples players, I mean, I think... West, I think you can't really separate Staples from, from Westport. And I think one of the things that is so incredible about Staples players, and I think it was true even when we were in high school, is that in a lot of high schools, theater is sort of thought to be, I don't know, lesser than sports, sort of like there, you know, it's it's like if you can't do a sport, maybe you do theater. It's it's not it's not given as much value. I've even heard of a lot of a lot of teachers that are that when they direct a play, they'll make, you know, uh, a fifth of what a coach makes in order to direct that. Right. And so it's really they'll do a show and they'll do a show for, you know, maybe three or four performances. And, and they're hoping that they can get, you know, 100, 200, 300 people there, you know, but it's really just the families of the kids that are in the shows. And I think that I mean, especially now, I mean, when we do a show, if it's particularly if it's a popular show, I mean, we could when we did Mamma Mia, we did Mamma Mia in, in 2019. And it we had, I think, total audience of about 9000 over the, the course of the run of the show. We, I think we ran 9, for nine performances. Yeah, yeah. That is that's a big thing that I think you can't underestimate with Westport is that we have, I mean, we have, so we have an audience when we do a show, the town comes to the show. 
That's great. And then and then the kids, you know, by the time the kids get up to Staples, they've seen 10 Staples player shows. And so when they, they know that they want to be a Staples player when they're little because they're, their families, you know, and so it's a big town activity. Perhaps in some ways it's, I mean, it's as popular, if not more popular than going to a sporting event. You right. know, I mean, I think if, if we get in the playoffs or that type of thing, then then they'll get, you know, a th- couple th- couple thousand people at a, at a football game but we've been lucky in that you know we've really sort of we've been getting those i mean that's an extreme audience but we've been selling at least seven eighths of a house for almost every show we do for the last you know 20 years so that's that not only do the kids are the kids so excited about doing it but then they go out and do it and they get, I mean, you know what it was like when we did, I mean, Cabaret was sold that way. And it was just right. like the sound of that audience and, and having that many bodies in a room together and being excited. You just feel that amount of energy and these kids get that experience. And because of that, we also then, we get the revenue from tickets. So we're also able to put more money into the program and and, and produce sets and produce costumes that are on par with, with a with a pretty professional production. And so therefore you get to see this, you know, so therefore more people want to come see it because they've really enjoyed seeing it. That's a big part of, I think, that the town support is just amazing. And the fact that we have a high school that has a full four-year theater program. Right. For classes, you know, I mean- Oh, that's that, right, because you now have you can come in and take right. four straight years of theater. And so because of that also, then we have- we have a lot of kids that when they're done with high school, they go into performing arts programs at college. This year we have nine stu- nine of our graduating seniors are going into theater or film, either as a lighting designer or a director or a, a performer. Oh, and then we have somebody that's going into arts management as well that wants to be like a theater manager. So how many people does the auditorium hold? The auditorium holds 960. 960 people. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're charging admission when people go to these performances? Yeah. Yes. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Cabaret, as David was talking about, David was at the, you were the MC, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you knocked it out of the park. And you were Cliff Bradshaw. <laughs> that's right. The romantic lead. The romantic um, lead. Yes, that's right. Oh, I remember that. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I remember the sets, and I remember uh, watching you from the wings just going, oh, my God, this guy's very scary good. Uh, it was a very impressive performance. It was a lot of fun. It was. So as far as the direction goes, mm-hmm. you're looking down the road. It's starting to sound like theater is at such a high level. I mean, obviously, Staples, all the classes and you know, the soccer program. I was involved in the soccer mm-hmm. program. Yeah. All these programs, but the theater program, people are going on as Staples players doing some successful things. And I guess like uh, you really knocked it up a, a level, not to say anything bad about anybody else, but it's really impressive. It, it's really good to see or hear what you're doing and doing for this program. And uh, I'm sure the kids totally appreciate it and the parents as well. And I love the way that you're bringing in more parents. What I would like to talk about now is we've all been dealing with COVID 
as you know. Yep. And I got a, a post that was one of the first productions for Staples Players that you put on that was a radio drama broadcast. Uh-huh. Yep. Let's talk about that because that I can see a lot of other instructors or teachers that might want to learn more about how you did it and preparations you make and set up and things like that and how you have the kids spaced out. I know a lot of them are wearing their masks. Yep. Could you talk about that for a little bit? Absolutely. So we, um, last year, we were supposed to open our production of Susicle on March 13th. The schools shut down completely. Westport had like a super spreader event. So we were kind of a day ahead of everyone else in the country. And so we shut down two days before we were going to open this production. So that was a huge, that was, that's how COVID began for us. We luckily were able to get parents, it would get, get about 150 parents in the, for our final dress rehearsal the night before the school shut down the day before. So the parents actually got to see it before it never opened. And so soon after that, I knew that the kids, I mean, everyone was just so devastated and the, and the, the particularly the seniors were facing, you know, not having graduation and not having any of the normal things. And so we did a production, which was like a Zoom production where everybody was at home and they all had kind of monologues. It was called, um, what was it called? 10 Ways to Survive in Quarantine. And it was all about like these kids, they're at home and they're all kind of going crazy. And so they all did a little monologue about what it is, you know, talking to their basketball or, you know, doing shows with their pets, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. And it was, it was silly. And, and that was the first thing we did. And it was, it was fun to do. It was great to have something to work on, but the things that were really missing from it were that nobody was ever sort of involved at the same time. Everybody was isolated. And so to, to have theater become an isolating situation was not, that was not positive. And also we just sort of realized that watching plays on Zoom just wasn't really what we were interested in doing. It, it was trying to put a one art form into a format that didn't really complement it. It didn't make it, you know, it didn't help it at all. And obviously it's great to have the experience, but I think that it's, it's a difficult medium to watch the shows in. At the same time, we did a production of Alice in Wonderland as a radio show. Now I've done radio shows in my theater three classes, I think for like the past 15 years. And when we do a regular radio show, we, you know, we pipe the sound. So we have professional microphones set up in the black box. We have a, um, I don't know, have you ever, have you even seen the, the school since it's been rebuilt? I did. When I went back there in 2018, Okay. I went back to New York City with my family, and I did a whirlwind tour of Westport in about one hour or two hours. Cause we had... Do you still have family there? I don't, know. Oh. My mother moved to western New York, and my sisters now live in western New York as well. Okay. And yeah, my father and my mother both passed away. But when I went there, I actually dragged them into Staples, obviously. Okay. We walked around inside the school, and I can't remember mm. what it was. It was... It was um, a Saturday, I think, maybe, or something. But we got in, and we were walking around. There was staff there, so it wasn't like we were, you know, breaking in. I think we yeah. went in there right after school was let out. 
Okay. I did walk around. The theater was, unfortunately, it was everything, all the lights were shut off, but I did see uh, Zegan's room or okay. Zegan's office. And I think you have yeah. a, a sign over the door or something like that, right? We do. Yeah. There's a whole, like, there's a whole, to the to the right-hand side of it, there's a whole, like, memorial that um, Jim Wheeler, who is an art teacher and one of Joe's best friends for his, he came back after Joe passed away and we asked okay. him to sort of take all these things that Joe had made and to sort of create a sort of a, I don't know, a monument to Joe out, outside of his office. So, okay. uh, so that's there. But anyway, did you, did you see the black box theater? Was it to the, you would it? have remembered, you would have remembered. Okay. It's, it's, so it's, it's directly across the hallway from where, you know, the hallway we would use for like backstage. So, so when okay. you go out in that, that sort of the, the four building hallway, all those rooms that used to be art rooms on the other side there. Yeah. That is now my classroom and it's a, a 2,500 square foot black box theater like 200 seats when they rebuilt the school that was that was wow. in the specs and i kept thinking they were going to cut it because it was like it was like oh my god that would be amazing and then they they built it so we have this beautiful black box theater that we can have a full rehearsal it's basically the same width as like the auditorium stage so okay. we can have a full a full-on rehearsal in there and so we've been doing Ever since we got that, we've been doing radio plays in there. Okay, so that's where that is. As part of the Theater 3 curriculum. Okay. And there's also, they built jacks into the back wall so they can run the sound directly to the room. And the room next door to us is the TV studio. And so that's where we run, and that's where the radio station goes out of. So they purposely put the two next to each other so that we could broadcast things. So... We've been doing these radio plays with the live sound effects and, and the live music for many years. And so la we were in rehearsals for Alice in Wonderland when, when COVID hit last year. And so we did Alice in Wonderland. We continued to rehearse it on, um, on Zoom and then we broadcast it from Zoom last year. And so when we were talking to the officers at the beginning of this year about what they want to do and we talked about doing another virtual production because that's what most most high schools are doing right now is they're doing plays either by zoom or i mean in some parts of the country they just do theater and don't worry about the masks and that type yeah. of stuff but we <laughs> we're not in that part of the country and <laughs> we can't do that here um so when we talked to the officers about what they were interested in we said we're, we're looking at these virtual productions and blah, blah 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 and they said we want to do radio plays because several of them had been in alice in wonderland and they felt that sort of because everybody was in the play at the same time and sort of there together even though they weren't physically in the same space they were on the zoom together and so they felt that that had much more of a feeling of like a play you you had the the camaraderie amongst the the students and you also had sort of the adrenaline of we're live and we're going and you know you have the beginning the middle and once the play is over you have that big moment where you're just you're feeling like okay we did it and right. um so they wanted to do radio shows and oh, so we were like great. okay because a lot of the when you do the the Zoom shows, you, you have to pre-record so much of it too. Yeah. And so they're not, they're never really there together. And so we chose a season of three radio plays. And the other great advantage with the radio plays is, well, first of all, they're, you're performing 
in a mode that they're intended to be performed. We basically perform a radio play like the radio plays would have been done back in the, the 30s or the 40s when people were doing live radio. There isn't anything that's being compromised because of COVID. We stand in front of a microphone and we do these, we do these shows. And so that to us was, was a huge plus. We didn't really want to do a compromised or sort of a, a Frankenstein of a theater production. We wanted to do something that was being done the way it was intended. Right. And also, I think currently there's with audiobooks and, and audio production, I mean, that's a really thriving, well, you know, you're, you're doing this podcast, right? I mean, so it's right. a thriving, thriving field of people just listening to things. You yeah. don't need to have a visual along with it. And the other advantage is when we, so we did, we did our first two shows. We did Wizard of Oz and we did, oh, oh Pride and Prejudice. We right. did those in the black box and we had 15 stalls set up basically with like a plastic, it's like the, the see-through curtains that you, you hang on like the sides of tents. Do you know right. about restaurants when they bring down the, the plastic so that yes. you can still yes. see through them? But so we have 15 like stalls or little like sectioned off things so that the kids are not breathing on each other. And then we have microphones set up in that room. And so the first two shows we performed that way, even did some singing in Wizard of Oz and, and, and that type of stuff. And then we got hit with, uh, what was it? Was it post? Thanksgiving? I can't remember. Huh. We got basically the schools shut down because right. we just, uh, we reached a point where there were too many teachers that were being quarantined and there weren't enough teachers, physical bodies to be in the school to take care of the kids. So we had to shut down and we were able to move our production of It's a Wonderful Life completely onto Zoom within like a week. So that's the other really great advantage of doing a radio show is that if we have to, we can move it onto Zoom. And that's how we rehearse too. We don't we don't go into the black box until the final week. So and that's when we put it all together. When I was listening to It's a Wonderful Life, mm -hmm. I think I was driving to Colorado. But anyway, mm -hmm. I was listening off of a radio or okay. you know, a, a link. So yeah. you were all still broadcasting live, but you were doing it through Zoom. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And we actually, we, so we have most of our listeners listen to it online. And actually we, we found out that we couldn't, because we do live commercials. Yeah. Um, part of the way we're able to sort of uh, pay for staff and pay for royalties and all of that type of stuff is the community has purchased commercials. And so we perform those live including jingles and all that type of stuff. But you can't, uh, WWPT, which is the Staples radio station, that's a um, not-for-profit. Right. So you can't, you can't do commercials. So we can't actually broadcast on that. When we did, um, the, the only one we've been able to do live on the radio was uh, last week we did Sorry, Wrong Number. Right. And we didn't have any commercials because there were no, it's, it's a 30 minute play or a 25 minute play with no breaks in it. So we didn't do commercials during it. So that one we were able to broadcast both on online and on the radio. Oh, I see. And um, 
and then were so successful and people were, you know, people were tuning in and giving donations and stuff like that. So we added a fourth show. We added A Christmas Carol in December and we did that. That one we still did. We did on Zoom because things were still kind of dicey then. Right. But now we're in our second season and we're doing, uh, we just finished Sorry Wrong Number. We're doing Little Women this weekend and then we're doing um, right. Dracula and then we're doing... Um, <laughs> Dracula. A hysterically, a hysterically funny, sort of a, a parody on um, melodramas, um, and it's so we're doing that one as well, and that's that one we're doing just with the with the freshmen and the sophomores because okay. they haven't really had as much opportunity because the seniors, you yeah. know, this is their senior year and they haven't yeah. been able to do so. So they they tend to, and they're more experienced anyway. So you know, but but. Yeah they tend to kind of dominate the uh, casting pool right. on a lot of these shows. So so we did a show just for the freshmen and sophomores because we're concerned about, you know, what's going to happen uh. if we're if we can't perform for a while still. We don't want to lose we don't want people to lose interest. Yeah. And in, we don't want to lose our students because we have, you know, usually we have about a hundred people involved at all times, so that's really valuable. We're we're a high school where we can have do a show with you know seventy kids in it, and thirty five are boys and thirty five are girls. And most high school theater programs are, they're kind of dominated by by females, right? Because a lot of guys don't necessarily they want to do sports, so they're afraid of being embarrassed or, or that type of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's also, that's, but that's also something that's great about Staples is that I don't think there is a real stigma for people that do theater. I mean, you know, you did soccer and you also did theater and it was right. like, I mean, you may, yeah, I don't know, you may have gotten some, you know, a little bit of flack from your friends and that type of stuff, but I don't think it's, it's that bad. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I feel like, and, and I think a lot of people, it's like, if you, put in a great performance, people in class the next week will be like, oh my God, that was great. I loved it, you know? And, and yeah, I remember that. So, so the, the students have that enthusiasm as well. So it's, you know. The fun they have um, at the performance. Yeah. yeah, seeing that. Yeah, yeah. So quick thing on the Zoom, are they are mm-hmm. they mic'd up with high-end mics or? or they, just... um, we encouraged parents to purchase I don't know the forty dollar level one from Amazon, and and I can't remember which one it was, but our our tech director for for the radio shows, the guy that that basically does all the sound, which we could not possibly do these shows without him. His name's Gino Heider, and he's the one that makes everything sound so good. So he, I sent him some possibilities, you know, that were easy to get from Amazon quickly. So a lot of parents bought their kids microphones, which, okay. you know, I think is a decent investment for this time anyway, because yeah, yeah, definitely. it's just, you know, it's it's not a bad thing to have. And it was also, we were coming on Christmas. So I think a lot of people, you know, just were like, here's an early Christmas present. So most of them were using higher quality. Some of them were using um, like wired uh, headphones from yeah. like, a, like, like Apple headphones, not AirPods, because AirPods... Right. They you you lose too much integrity. Anytime you're go- well, you know this. Anytime you're going through the air, you're you're losing a lot of stuff. Hardwired is much better yeah. for sound. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, they use you know that, and and hopefully we'll be able to stay live. I mean, we'll right. be able to be in person in the theater for the rest of these shows. You mean as far uh, as we'll doing see. radio shows? Yeah. yeah and if yeah. we can't, if we can't, then we're prepared to switch over to Zoom. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the big things we lose is we're not able to have all the live sound effects right. that we're able to have when we're in the black box. We lose all the Foley stuff and we have to go to recorded sound effects. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Although we were able to keep our, um, we have a fantastic music director, Don Rickenback, who um, basically writes original scores to each of these radio plays and plays through the entire show and sort of gives okay. you that whole background music to it. He was still able to perform live from the school and he was mixed in with the Zoom for the radio broadcast. That was going to be my next question. So the piano playing you hear in the background is live? Constantly, yes. Wow, that is great. I did see some pictures, and yeah, if you can post more. Yeah. Wow, that is great. Can alumni donations help, you know, with the microphones? and things? Okay, all right. Absolutely. And I'll provide links for that and all that. Fantastic. On the page. So... What does the future hold for you? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we haven't really, we haven't, we haven't planned past our last show, which is the last weekend in March. I don't know. We may do more radio. We may try to do some kind of, we've talked about possibly trying to do a production live and, and film it, you know, and, and have the kids perform with masks. I, I don't know that we're going to be able to do anything with, with much of an audience. So I think we're probably going to end up, you know, broadcasting to home. I don't know. I'm hoping, my hope is that by next fall, we can get back to normal. Okay. Or some some aspect of normal. Right. You know, Fauci's saying things like movie theaters and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I think he's saying, what, mid to late fall? So... I don't know. Yeah, everybody's taking a hit. I don't know. Hopefully people are going out and getting vaccinated. That's what our hope is, you know, to sort of move beyond this thing. Well, I think the radio drama is excellent training, especially for theater. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Because you can't rely on looks and everything has to be audio, um, Mm -hmm. obviously. But um, I think it's great. And I think it's great what you're doing. This is... uh, a great conversation and I'm really enjoying this. I um I wanted to kind of finish up here because we're we've been talking for a while. Is there anything you want to add that we didn't cover or that you want to mention? <sighs> I don't know. We covered so much. Yeah. I think you do this again. <laughs> uh, I just I I really appreciate first of all I appreciate your enthusiasm for the radio shows and stuff like that it is it is something i i think that it's it's great for the kids um i think it's also you know they may not get to do a show on stage but they also you know some of them have played eight different roles so far this year so i mean they they get the chance to do so much other stuff but but your enthusiasm for them and your support has has really meant a lot to me and i i really appreciate that do you want to do any promotions for uh, upcoming performances? I'm going to obviously list these. So when I post this, I'll put links to the Staples players. Also put up a schedule there. Just, I mean, if you anybody anybody can tune in anywhere in the world because we're online. I, I, I love hearing from people that have sort of found their own way to listen to it. You know, some people, it's like, like you said, you can listen to it in the car. Some people have told us that they love to, like, turn off the lights, build a fire, and... <laughs> You know, just sit there and and listen to it. Like, Carrie and I did that for what? What was the? Um, I can't remember what the name of it was. It was about a guy that was convicted of murder, 
and trying to prove it was a true story. I think it was on NPR, and we used we used to listen to that podcast, and we we do the same thing. And sometimes, like for some of the shows, we did like special meals. So people like when we did Pride and Prejudice, there's a uh, oh yeah restaurant called Gruel Britannia that did like a full on like English dinner, you know, with the sticky toffee pudding at the end and, That's and, great. and uh, Cornish game hens and that type of stuff. You know, different people find different ways to to listen to them, and people seem to really enjoy enjoy the novelty of being able to listen to it in your house, you know, and, and do other things or, or whatever you do during it. Um, right. So people, people have been supportive and I, I hope we can continue to grow our audience. Like I said, we're doing little women, we're doing Dracula and we're doing the marvelous mellow melodrama of the miss. Oh my God. It's the longest title ever. And I can never remember all of it, but, uh, um, of the mislaid minor. So, and we're doing that one too. And that's, that's very, very funny. Gives kids a lot of chances to do accents. So uh, we, we love that. This is great. Well, thank you so much, David Roth. Thank you, Mircha. Good friend for a number of years. Um, yeah. We just recently reconnected probably about five years ago. Yeah. Sorry it took that long and I'm glad we did. A lot of people out there that were involved, staples, players in some way, shape or form. And thanks for coming out and talking with us, David. Really appreciate it. And it's my pleasure. Great talking to you. Anytime. All right. Good luck. Thank you. All right. <laughs> you too, David. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye, David. Bye. Well, that was awesome. I think after that conversation, we can all agree that the Staples Theater Department has been and continues to be in very good hands with David Roth at the helm. Let's give it up for a good friend and former Staples High School classmate, David Roth. Thank you, David. I would also like to give a huge shout out to the Staples Players' wonderful community of supporters throughout all these years. Whether it's the parents and family members donating their time to help build sets, collect tickets, usher the productions, drive their kids to and from rehearsals, or the local businesses that help finance the players' performances and broadcasts with their generous donations and advertising. You are all very much appreciated. Local businesses, like Melissa and Doug Bernstein's company, Melissa and Doug. By the way, both Melissa and Doug went to Staples. But that was long before they were married. Mitchells of Westport, where back in the early 80s, my mom purchased for me my very first blue sports jacket and charcoal gray slacks for my school's many orchestra, band, and choir concerts. Thanks again for your help, Ed. You and my mother were right. I really did look snappy. I also want to thank for the supporting Staples players, the Galt family companies. Sam Galt, a Staples graduate. Erica and Julie of EA Homes of Westport. Steve Madden of Westport. Little Barn of Westport. Did you know that two of the three owners of the Little Barn, Scott Beck and Kevin McHugh, are Staples grads? Cynthia Gibbs Theater School, the Triple Threat Academy. Oh yeah, she went to Staples. The Acting Gym of Westport. Winged Monkey. Leslie Clark Holmes. All four of Leslie's kids went to Staples. Tan Perkins Subaru of Milford, Connecticut. Bravo Players, an out-of-town sponsor. And finally, a business that stands out in my memory of growing up in Westport, especially my early teen years, Honda of Westport, where my dad purchased for my two older sisters the very first car to share. It was a red Honda Accord, and no, sadly for me, it didn't survive long enough for me to inherit. 
At no fault of the quality of the car, rather I suspect the quality of the teenage drivers. But that's a story for another time and I digress. So once again, thank you to the parents and the businesses of Westport for your dedication and support. Now one more thing before I leave. I would like to personally thank David for being such a great sport and taking the time to talk with me and agreeing to be my very first interviewee on my new show, Zuma Cafe. That takes some serious courage and a lot of trust. Trust in me that I wouldn't embarrass him. I appreciate that, David. And to prove that your trust was not misguided, here's a little clip of David singing Willkommen from our 1984 high school production of Cabaret. David played the MC and killed, while yours truly played the romantic lead Cliff Bradshaw and unfortunately did not kill. Perhaps, maybe, I maimed a little. Nevertheless, please enjoy and thank you so very, very much for listening. Bye.